Punchy Panda Podcast, we made it, we're here. What a wonderful night to be recording a podcast for you folks. Yes, this live reactions from USC 235, Jones versus Smith. Now I'll talk about the prelims at the end. But first fight of the night, dynamic Cody Garbrandt taking on Pedro Munoz. Number two versus number nine. Pedro Munoz, three-fight winning streak, a lot of momentum. Israel Asanya always likes to talk about momentum. And we have Cody Garbrandt coming off of two knockout losses. The fight was pretty mundane for the first two minutes, feeling each other out, feeling that range and distance, as Dominic Cruz said. And then things took off. Cody Garbrandt started pressing forward with a lot of combinations, blocked very well by Pedro Munoz. Pedro Munoz seemed to do a lot of damage with his lead leg kick, stifling the movement from Cody Garbrandt. But once Cody Garbrandt landed one of those big hooks, as he often does, he took off. Started swinging wildly, big combinations, but Pedro Munoz just would not stay down. He continued to fire back, too. It was one of the most incredible moments of the year, for sure, especially for this Bantamweight division. It's just stacked with contenders. And damn, Cody Garbrandt just gets clipped with the biggest shot. Oh, my goodness. He gets too wild and reckless. And I feel like, and I agree with, the fact that you don't have to do that. And as a champion, even though you're an exciting fighter and you're going for the win and all that stuff, you have to reconcile yourself and realize, take your foot off the gas. I feel like if he didn't get knocked out, he probably would have won that round. And you can go back to the draw forward and replicate that same thing in the next round. But we didn't get that far. Speaking of far, Pedro Munoz with a win over the former Bantamweight champion with a first-round knockout, that is going to jettison him up the rankings and potentially get him a title shot. Like I said, if you don't play ball, they'll give the shot to the next guy. So if Marais... And TJ can't get made. Maybe they'll try to make TJ and the other guy. You know, Pedro Munoz looks really appetizing now after all the press, after the comeback of Gordy Garbrandt. Hopefully he gets some of that shine off of him. And... That what makes the UFC decision so easy when you have two top contenders that the fans will both accept. That's why we have the Kobe Usman situation going on. It's like, dang. They both coming off a big win. One's coming off a big win, but one is coming off a big win more recently. One's playing hardball or doesn't want to fight. It's so easy for the UFC. It's so easy for us fans to get fights that we want to see. Or maybe, since they're interim happy, they could do an interim Bantamweight championship between um, um, Pedro Munoz and Marais. And then do um, Henry Cejudo and TJ Dillashaw at the top of the card for the Bantamweight championship. Or even for the Flyweight championship again. Who cares? That'll be nice. And that's a nice little pay-per-view. We pack it all together so everybody sees and everybody knows. That'll be great. I like that. But, no doubt. 
so far, like I said, no spoilers on those prelims. What a great fight. Kicking off that pay-per-view. The second fight of the evening. A wonderful contest at women's shawar weight. Tisha Torres versus Wei Ling Zhang. The great Chinese hope coming from, obviously, China. Number 15 in the UFC. What a contest it was. We have Wei Li Zhang taking the victory by unanimous decision. Something I never thought I would have to say. Tisha Torres lacked the volume to keep up with the strong and durable fighter from China. She impressed me with her spinning techniques that she um, threw to the body. That spinning kick was very nice. Additionally, she threw a lot of combinations and she had great footwork. And the clinch and takedown were key there. Something I thought Tisha Torres would have the advantage in, but mm, not true. Shout out to the interpreter, 19-1, and Wei Li Zhang going in there trying to be the greatest Chinese fighter that we've ever seen so far. She's doing a pretty good job. Being Tisha Torres is no easy feat. As I said on the broadcast, every great straw weight has gone through Tisha Torres. And to beat her, I mean, there's only three. And two of them with whole gold. So I just think about that when we're talking about the contenders at Strawweight. Which leads us to the third fight. The people's main event, if you would. Funky Ben Askren taking on Robbie Lawler, former UFC welterweight champion, living legend. And I bet a lot of people were looking for the snooze fest. But it wouldn't be a Robbie Lawler fight if it wasn't high-octane action from the beginning. Ben Askren goes in for the shot. Robbie Lawler picks him up, drops him on his fucking head, discombobulates him, as Ben Askren says. And just goes in and just lands huge shot after huge shot. Many, including myself, thought the fight was going to be over right there. It looked like Ben Askren was out. Ironically, later on, this will be a very important because the fight continues. Ben Askren is able to continue his grappling game. Robbie Lawler is able to disengage for a little while until Ben Askren is able to get another takedown, secure a lot of position, and then gets a guillotine. Robbie Lawler fights his way out of the hooks, but Ben Askren converts it to a bulldog choke. In this instance, there's a moment where Robbie Lawler is grabbing the back of Ben Askren's amazing afro, and his hand just drops. When it look, it just seems like he's out. Herb Dean goes in to check his arms, and it doesn't look like he's responded, but it looks like he is lifting his hands and trying to put up a thumb. But Herb Dean calls the fight. Submission for Ben Askren, still undefeated. Just an unfortunate turn of events where a definitive conclusion was not there. I will say Robbie Lawler had his opportunity where Ben Askren was almost out and he wasn't. So Ben Askren had that same opportunity, unfortunately. I feel like Herdeen could have stopped it for Robbie Lawler earlier and he could have stopped it for Ben Askren there. So I feel like it's even and when things are even, you have to give it to the person who gained that position. And I'm a very big advocate for that. You have to realize that Robbie Lawler was put in that position for Herb Dean to step in. 
This wasn't an accident or a knee strike or anything like that. This is work that Ben Askren put in. And someone should be rewarded for that, even if the conclusion is controversial, even if there is a question to be had. And it was great work for Ben Askren to survive and come back and show he has championship-level heart and definitely championship-level skill. Co-main event, Tyron Woodley, Kamaru Usman. What a turn of events. The joke's really on all the betting favorites. Always the odds dictate who wins and loses and all that. But it's so ironic that Tyron Woodley, who was an underdog in all of his title defenses up to this point, would lose when he was the favorite. A dominant, overwhelming, just bulldozing performance by Kamara Usman to take the welterweight championship from Tyron Woodley. Unbelievable. The grappling, I feel like it came down to one moment. There was a big elbow in the second round where Tyron Woodley got cut open, and I feel like he realized that Kamar Usman, like he said, was going in for the kill, was going in for the win, and was going to go to deep waters, and he took him there. He almost finished him in round four just like he said he would. He said he was going to try to He's going to finish some of the other rounds. It was incredible. What an incredible and dominant performance. As far as Tyron Woods' performance, it was just sluggish, slow, not dynamic as we have seen him perform before. It reminds me of the Wonder Boy fights, kind of, where Wonder Boy is kind of trying to move forward and Tyron Woods retreating. Dean Thompson is corner multiple times told him that he has to be the one moving forward he has to be the one that's going forward and now he's in a position where he can easily be passed over I mentioned it earlier with the other divisions when there are two top contenders top contenders where the fans can accept you leave yourself vulnerable to negotiations and Tyra Willie has left himself vulnerable in this position with this loss Hopefully, you can go back to the drawing board and with five defenses, get finally, maybe finally get the respect he deserves and get an immediate rematch. But it is distant. We got clowns showing up at blackjack tables, you know? You don't know what is next or what could go awry in the UFC. They're taking fights and booking them as soon as they can. So you're going to have to be smart and use your knowledge. As far as the main event, John Jones versus Anthony Smith, what a contest. It mirrored the co-main event as well as bell-to-bell dominance with some interesting moments in the fourth, ironically. John Jones defeats the, oh my goodness, the durable and the lion-hearted Anthony Smith by unanimous decision in a fight where... I feel like he was just too cautious. It was, it was like I said, it mirrored the co-main event because I feel like he was fighting a lot like Woodley. Backing up, he couldn't get into range, really. He did land his shots, though. But I just feel like John Jones, with his body work, with his creativity, at one point, he was just 
holding his head hand over his head, just like he did Daniel Cormier, and just throwing those push elbows that Tyron Woodley throws. On standing, though, that takes supreme confidence in doing that. Again, to be noted, John Joe's fighting the younger, youngest, and the most experienced fighter he's ever fought, but still he couldn't pull the um, Anthony Smith couldn't pull the trigger. I feel like these young guys have the durability and the choice to vacate victory in order to preserve themselves to fight another day. I totally feel like after the third round, Anthony Smith was just fighting to survive and was really just being defensive and not taking damage, but at the same time, not quitting. Again, to parallel, the opposite of Conor McGregor, who as soon as he gets into a position where it's okay for him to tap out, he'll tap immediately instead of not getting to that position in the first place. What a fight. The options are plentiful for John Jones as well. He can go anywhere from here. You know, he can fight a Tiago Santos on International Fight Week, or he could move up to heavyweight and, you know, challenge a um, former champion or something. I don't know if they'll give him the title shot, like, right, right off the titty, but... Also, Daniel Cormier is injured, so if his timetable gets extended a little bit, here comes the interim. Even though he just fought in November, here comes the interim. You know, they will use interim at any point in time in order to make a big fight. So if anyone's injured, anyone's sidelined, anyone who doesn't want to fight a particular guy at a particular time for any particular reason, man. You got to be careful out here. And we got big names like Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou up there. I don't know if John Jones is trying to fight those big boys, but there's always an option. Or like I said, Tiago Santos is muzzling around. Johnny Walker's making a name for himself. You know, there's always um, Corey Anderson as well. He's on a three-fight winning streak. So we, there, there are options in either weight class for him. As far as Anthony Smith, psh, the same thing goes. Light heavyweight is now a melting pot of untested young talent and fucking grizzly veterans that won't go. So while we got that mix going, he can go in either pool, really. I personally would like him to still fight somebody in the top 10. Maybe he gets the Corey Anderson fight. Or what I personally think the UFC will do is do the rematch with Tiago Santos. So they can make that definitive, and then if Anthony Smith wins, we can prove, like, see, it was the weight cut, and he's still a relative contender. Because once you put a person on pay-per-view, they're really expecting him to continue to make profits and headlines and sell. So I feel like that's easily a main event card that they can make maybe summer, early fall. Anthony Smith, though he did lose the fight, he didn't look like he was overly battered or took too much damage or anything like that. And Tiago Santos came out of that battle, of course. You know, it was a war for those three rounds, but he didn't take too much damage, you know, that would keep him out or there was any injuries. So their timelines are similar. They have unfinished business. Well, Anthony Smith does anyway. I would like to see that. On the prelims, we had a lot of amazing performances. Man, just a dynamic car from top to bottom. The UFC matchmakers did a really, really good job. 
Poliana Viana versus Hannah Cyphers. Good tactical bout. Big power out of Cyphers getting knocked down. But Poliana kind of got a knockdown too. Was very back and forth. But Cyphers ended up getting the win there. Very good performance. Very, uh, strong way to look out for. In that division, I don't know how far she can go with her style. Because it looked like that length was really, really bothering her. Oh, man. Edmund Shabazian stops Charles Bird in a sub-minute. It was dynamic. Just The age difference kind of stuck out to me when I first saw the tail of the tape. I was like, wow, I can't believe Charles Bird's that old. He looks really good. But I, I believe it was a um, the Travis Browns, something that his tra- um, training camp is known for. <sighs> just elbowed him to death. And then just a right hand on the way down. What an amazing performance. Didn't get the performance bonus, but Dana White said he'd get a little extra cheese. You know what I'm saying? <sighs> While we're talking about performance bonuses, let's just get these two straight out of the way. Motherfucking Johnny Walker is real and he's here. Three KOs in under a minute by Johnny Walker. She just blows through Misha Serkinov. Something I never saw coming. I thought Misha Serkinov would be able to absorb um, the first big shot and maybe Johnny Walker would finish him late in the first or maybe the start of the second. But only a few seconds is all it took. He does more sin damage to himself than anybody could do in the octagon. What a dynamic fighter. He's ranked 15. I don't know where he's going to be at after this. I feel like you got to give him somebody in the top 10 or some or people going to get fucking hurt. Goddamn, Johnny Walker. But before that, we had the resurgence of the nightmare. He back. Oh, my goodness. Mickey Gall came out swinging, trying to take out a legend. But that's the wrong fighting style when you're fighting somebody like Diego Sanchez. That's not how you beat him. You don't beat him by overwhelming force. You beat him by tactical precision and pinpoint um, devast- um, pinpoint devastation. Just like Ayala I- Quinta did. I remember Ayala Quinta faked him and set him up for the perfect shot and landed it. He wasn't swinging wildly. Same thing with Joe Lozon. Those two are very accurate strikers. Mickey Gall, being a submission specialist, really is not that accurate. <sighs> Since he wasn't, Diego Sanchez would be able to roll with those punches and be able to implement his ground and pound that he's known for. It was so fucking vicious. He just completely drained all the energy out of Mickey Gall and forced him to quit. It was impressive. It was vintage. It was dynamic. And he's trying to call out Damian fucking Maya. Whew. I don't know. Damian Maya's a big boy. That was all, you know, answer a lot of questions. Can he handle somebody who has a lot of size in the division where he at is in, in his career? Shit, that anti-Asian shit, it sounded goofy, but it's obviously working. Shit, he looks better than ever. It was ridiculous. Man, what an impressive performance by Diego Sanchez. Those are two um, performance bonus winners of the event. Good win by Cody Stamen in the Bantamweight division. Just outworked him. Had all the skills to win. Uh, Alejandro Perez, good performance, though. It's not like he didn't you know, show his skills there, but 
just didn't have what it took over the three rounds. Um, Macy Chazon, introduction to the Bantamweight division, coming off the Ultimate Fighter, getting that first round knockout. She's just so goddamn big. She just was just so huge, and she was throwing big shots, and Gina Mazzotti just went down. Very sad, but good for her. So my top three panda picks from this card would definitely be Diego Sanchez, Kamaru Usman, and uh, the third one's super hard. I would say Pedro Munoz defeating Cody Garbrandt like that. Man, those are three fighters that had the best performances as far as fighters to look out for. Macy Chasson, Edmund Tarverdian. I mean, that's the coach. Edmund Shabazian and motherfucking Johnny Walker. Those three are super promising. Man, what performances coming out of this event? Such a great card. And well, at the end of the day, UFC 235 was a pretty good success. There was no picogram talk. Everything was nice and clean outside of what happened with Robbie Lawler. But hopefully they can just run that back. I'm going to give this card an A+. Plus. Again, hit me up at Punchy Panda on Twitter. Keep good, Keith. That's a G U D. Two underscores in between. Keep underscore good underscore Keith. You guys have been beautiful. You guys have been great. Again, if you want me to add anything to the show, and if you think that there's any fights that I missed, or if you just want to have a conversation with me, just let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. Get in my DMs. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and punch up. <laughs>